0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Let's talk about change. It's been a season of much political change for us all in the UK because Boris is out, Rishi has been dispatched to the back benches, and Mrs. Truss is now our fourth Prime Minister in six years, following Mr. Johnson, Mrs. May, and Mr. Cameron. And our new Prime Minister has swept into number 10, promising change. Change to our energy bills with a price cap. She's promising to reduce taxes and pledging to transform Britain into, as she described it, an aspiration nation. Change. We've certainly all been experiencing change in the last couple of years. If anyone's in doubt, who would have thought that we'd be required to stay home for months, between late March and June 2020? And the Church is called to be a people who embrace change because Quite simply, our God is a traveler. He's going somewhere. The Old Testament people of God were called to Exodus and Red Sea Crossing, going with God where he was going. In the New Testament, Jesus invited his disciples to go on a trek with him, a journey of world-changing purpose, as he invited them, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. The question is, how well do we, the church, do with change? Are we shackled by our traditions in our churches? And then, what's the difference between tradition, which can be beautiful, and traditionalism, which can be stifling? Change. That's our theme tonight on Lucas on Life, here on Premier Christian Radio. I've decided that the older I get, the more a creature of habit I become. I like tea in the morning, coffee in the afternoon, and anything made with grapes at night. I've developed habits that make frequent flying, preaching, writing, and much of the rest of my life a little easier. Good habits can be helpful. But I do take some of my habits to ridiculous extremes. I used to wear contact lenses. I've given them up now because I don't like to poke myself in the eyes daily. But back then, I developed a nice little routine for their insertion. I'd always put the left lens in first and then the right. Left, right. No deviation. One morning, I mistakenly placed the right lens into my right eye first. There was no sin in this, nor health risk, because the universe was not about to explode simply because I'd altered my little ritual. But it all seemed so very wrong. I am sad to say that I removed the right lens, replaced it in the contact lens holder, placed the left lens in my left eye, and then placed the right lens in my right eye once again, for the second time that morning. I surely need help because this was routine madness. My addiction to ritual was seriously messed up when we moved house. If you're considering this, I have instruction for you. Don't do it. Given a choice between moving again and being immersed upside down in a vat of hot fat, I think I'd take the warm lard. They say that moving is stressful. Our marriage did fairly well as our lives were stuffed into boxes, besides which, being Christians, we don't argue, we just share intensely. But the move showed me how much I like what once has been. I struggled to part with some items which I've never used and never will have a use for. We have souvenirs from long gone vacations, holidays that will only clutter up our kitchen drawers, Occasionally, we will view them with mildly depressed nostalgia. Now, I'm not alone in my love of sameness. Most churches don't do well with change. I'm not declaring war on tradition here because some of it has great value. It's quite traditional to wash. Be old-fashioned. Your friends will thank you for it. But traditionalism can be a curse that chokes all possibility of life and change out of the church. Some people think that rearranging the chairs or pews in the church building is a heinous crime, slightly more dodgy than denying the doctrine of justification by faith. A church in America is having a three-way split right now over the location of a piano stool. And changing the times for Sunday morning services may start something akin to a war. But perhaps the most bizarre example of the struggle to change comes from the member of the Salvation Army, who recently wrote to me. At a time when the army is asking questions of itself about being more effective and relevant in today's world, not everyone finds change easy, however incidental it is. The specific issue is over a waste paper bin in the bathrooms, the ladies' bathrooms specifically. Currently, there are two bins for used paper towels. One is the small pedal type, which has been of good service for some time, and the other is a new larger flip-top bin. Someone asked why there were two bins in the ladies' bathroom. The answer shows thoughtful leadership strategy and perhaps the snail-like ability that we Christians sometimes have to change. We are changing to the big bin, but we wanted to give people time to get used to it before removing the old bin. The leaders said. Change comes hard, even when it is for the better. And by the way, I'm not picking on our friends in the Salvation Army, they do a wonderful job. This is a malady that can affect all of us, whatever the denominational tribe that we come from. We often complicate the process of change more because we insist that our preferences surely must be God's preferences. And it's not just that we are offended at change, therefore, surely God is. Let it be known concerning the layout of pews, the bins in the bathroom, the order of insertion of contact lenses, the position of the church piano and its stool, the time we meet on Sundays, and a host of other minutiae, God isn't nervous or worried. I say this reverently, let's change for God's sake, for his sake, literally. Looking back on it, I realized that it was a ridiculously radical decision, foolhardy, crazy even, but I I just had to do it. I was a driven man. I was nervous, scared, but something within me drove me to it. I took a deep breath and stepped out like a Martin Luther, marching resolutely towards the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. Compelled by my convictions, I just did it. It was a historic Wednesday evening. Wednesday night was the time when our church had its weekly Bible study and prayer meeting. As the senior minister of the church, I led the meeting, announced the songs, and delivered the Bible study itself. But this particular Wednesday night was going to be an evening that no one in our church would ever forget. I arrived at the church building an hour before time, switched the lights on, and braced myself. I needed time and space in order to bring my extraordinary plan into being. Flicking on the lights, I paused for a moment. The hesitation almost paralysed me. Blood roared in my ears as I considered my wild plan. And then, as if stilled for the task by an invisible angel, I gritted my teeth and I just did it. I did it. I rearranged the chairs. For as long as I could remember, our little church had sat in pew-like rows every Wednesday night. Now, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but I've been teaching that the church is a family, not just a study group, and it seemed to me that something a little more informal and relational would be appropriate, and so I put the chairs into a big circle. There, it was done, and then I waited Thirty minutes later, the good people of our church began to arrive. The first couple were relatively new Christians. They had not had the benefit of the teaching that there was some kind of divine seating plan, and so with a smile and a cheery greeting, they sat down without even commenting. But it was the calm before the storm. A few of the more mature believers began to drift in some just sat and went immediately into prayer evidently determined to bring their concerns about the new circular seating arrangements to the throne of grace others were more immediately outspoken good evening pastor hello how are you fine thank you praise the lord um this is unusual what the chairs they uh, they uh, yes pastor The chairs are in a circle. This was most observant, and so I congratulated the person for noticing the altered geometry of the chairs. But this, as you know already, was not actually their point. Their observation was a prelude to protest, and so it came. The first wave was based around historical precedent. Pastor, the chairs, we've just never had them in a circle before. No, you're quite right, we haven't. It seems to me to be a perfectly good reason for trying something new. I held the, what kind of family sits in rows argument like an ace card up my sleeve, a reserve weapon. The next wave of attack was based around biblical instruction. Yes, but of course, new doesn't necessarily mean good now, does it, pastor? Is it biblical to have the chairs in a circle? I really wanted to laugh out loud at the idea of a God who would thunder commands about just how his people should sit themselves down when they got together. Well, We got through it that week. But the following week, I decided to have another little Reformation moment. We always used to have a cup of tea and a biscuit at the end of our meeting. And I'd been thinking, which is dangerous, why should we have it at the end? Why not in the middle? Were we actually sending a theological signal to our people by consigning the refreshment bit to the end of the meeting? Prayer is spiritual. Bible study is spiritual. Sipping tea and biscuits is not quite spiritual. Yep, the chairs were in a circle once again. People were actually getting to quite like the arrangement. We had our usual time of praise and worship, and then on cue, everyone reached for their Bibles like biblical gunfighters at the OK Corral. Time to walk on water, or tea, as it turned out. Please put your Bibles down for a few moments, I said. We're going to have a cup of coffee or tea and a biscuit or two. The usual biscuits are not available this evening. We're splashing out and having some chocolatey ones. I'm very excited. There was a moment of stunned silence as the awesome news settled in. To quote the carol writer, Mighty Dread had seized their troubled minds. Tea? Now? Right slap bang in the middle of the service, and not only that, but chocolate biscuits? Oh, the madness of it all, the sheer decadence. One spoke up. You mean, we're going to have a cup of tea now? I stood firm. Yes, we are. In the middle of the service, we're going to have tea and a chocolate biscuit. And so we did. Our chairs in a circle, sipping our tea, savouring the luxuriously chocolatey biscuits. And we had a very nice time. Now, I take my hat off in respect to the members of the church that I was leading back then and All of this seems so small, so insignificant, but on those two Wednesday evenings, we all embraced a little bit of change. We asked questions about why we do what we do and came up with what seemed to be risky conclusions as a result. I'm glad we put the chairs in a circle and put the kettle on. We changed. As we think about change, tradition is a word that's been vilified in recent years. The suggestion from some quarters is that anything that was must be outdated, antique, and religious. Only the brand new, the allegedly creative, and the apparently innovative counts as being significant. The trouble with this is that in pursuit of healthy change, we can end up spitting on history and rejecting out of hand perfectly good practice, simply because it's been around for a while, and then we invent new traditions to replace old ones. Tradition can be dangerous, so Jesus taught. Reserving his most withering language for the religious experts of the day, he announced with blistering insight that they nullified the word of God with their traditions. It is the mindless unthinking traditionalism, which refuses to allow the new wine of the spirit to flow, that causes the problem, not the use of the well-worn and sometimes even archaic practice itself. Now. I quite enjoy a ceremonial tradition, even if some of it can be a bit mindless. If the lawyers in the House of Lords want to perch themselves on a wool sack because wool used to be England's primary commodity, then that's fine by me. But I think in the church we need to ask, why do we have traditions? What's the purpose of them? Some of them are simply formed by habit, the well trodden pathways that result from repetitive walking. Others serve as a link to history and destiny—reminders echoing from yesteryear about who we are and where we've come from. But sometimes traditionalism is more sinister because it's forged out of preference and control. We like things the way they are in our church—conveniently forgetting that Christ died to redeem His church and it's His preferences concerning His bride that really matter. And then we can hide behind the threadbare scenery of tradition in order to control and manipulate what will happen. It was the late, great David Watson who was told by one lady, we don't want any of that supernatural Christianity in our church, thank you very much. Control was the temptation both of Pharisees and disciples The former were blinded to the wonder of a stinking Lazarus staggering alive out of his tomb because the miracle was just too inconvenient, too much out of their control. Jesus was breaking their self-claimed monopoly on things spiritual, and such an enemy of their control must himself be controlled, even by tying or nailing his hands to the cross. But those would-be friends and followers of Jesus often wanted to tidy things up around him. Having a crowd of fussing mothers and children clamoring for a hug and blessing just didn't fit in with the agenda of the disciples. Wasn't Jesus discussing important stuff like divorce with the religious luminaries of the day? And so they tried to shoo the mother and toddler group away. And in so doing, they ignited a terrifying outbreak of anger from Jesus. And then even Peter, such a friend of Jesus, had to learn how not to be a control freak. Don't go to Jerusalem, Jesus, you'll only die there. Don't think that I'll deny you, Jesus, I'm stronger and bigger than that. Only the thrice crowing of the rooster silenced Peter's control freak tendencies and brought him finally to his knees. So, as we've been thinking about change, let's not throw out everything that has some history in the name of innovation. But let's also beware lest we try to handcuff the hands of God with that old, We don't do it that way around here, routine. It's been said that change is as good as a rest, but sometimes change makes us restless. If we're battling with what is actually healthy change in our churches, in our lives, let's be willing to trust God in the midst of change and go along for the ride. Thanks to listeners who've contacted me with thoughts and ideas about future programs, and you can do just that. Email me on lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. Lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. See you next week. LucasOnLife.